Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we worship and fellowship together. To find out more about Waterbrook, go to www.waterbrook.church. Let me invite you to take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke. We are finished Hebrews for now. <laughs> and uh, we are going to spend a few weeks in... Um, the Gospel of Luke in the first chapter leading up to the Christmas story. And uh, you, I hope, have picked up in the song choices today that our theme this morning is the human heart. And uh, as we walk through uh, the Gospel of Luke at the beginning and the story of Christmas, I want you to start right now by praying over your heart. And uh, we all need to pray over the state of our heart. The Bible addresses it. We're told in Proverbs chapter 4, we are to watch over our hearts with all diligence. From out of the overflow of our heart springs our life. And so from our hearts is the control center of our lives. Now, as I read uh, part of the Gospel of Luke, I'm going to give you my emphasis for this month. I want you to think about the role of the Holy Spirit at the time of Christmas. Because in Luke's gospel, Luke puts an emphatic note on the role of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of Christ and the life of Christ. And so I am going to pinpoint in Luke chapter 1 over the next several weeks the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now the Spirit, I'll tell you right up front, points to Christ. That's his role. And you can imagine the moment where Christ enters into the world, the Christ comes. Millenniums of prophecy and preparation have come to this moment. And as the gospel begins to be manifested in the flesh of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, of course, shows up in a pronounced role. And uh, for Luke, again, let me remind you, Luke was a doctor. And so he writes two volumes, two parts of the New Testament. He writes the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and he writes the book of Acts. And as a doctor, he's being very careful. He's kind of analytical. He's, uh, he has much attention to detail, trying to explain what he has observed. Now Luke, as we know from uh, the book of Acts, traveled with the Apostle Paul. And so he had a front row seat for much of the time, in Paul's ministry as to how lives were changed. It was a stunning, staggering moment. And as you realize that Luke came in kind of partway through the scene as the church was being built in the book of Acts, he saw things happen that people didn't think could happen. He saw lives changed that you would never believe could be changed. In fact, he worked with Paul who was Saul of Tarsus, who was hostile to Christianity, who most people would have wrote on their list the least likely person to become a Christian. Now, Waterbrook has some of those people here. In their families, they would have been voted the least likely to come to Christ. And that's what God loves to do. And that's an encouragement to all of us because as we come, and now we're going to track back, Luke does careful attention to the historical details and the testimonies. He does what any news reporter, good news reporter would do today. He goes back and he does firsthand interviews with people seeking to find out exactly what they saw and heard because he lived at the time when they were all still alive. And so we have that recorded for us. 
But here's what Luke says. In the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts, he says the only explanation for the rise of the church in the Roman Empire in the time of Nero, the only explanation for the disciples who followed Jesus turning and standing strong when they were cowards at the cross, the only explanation for Saul of Tarsus or the Ethiopian eunuch or the transformation of people that were hostile and opposed. The only explanation is that God, by the power of the Spirit, in the power of the resurrected Christ, showed up. It was a miracle. This was not a human event. It was not merely a human event. It was not merely kind of the um, power moving of some guys who knew how to use the media of the day, which was traveling around and speaking publicly and showing up at the right place at the right time. These were the least likely. These were the weak and the foolish. These were people who you didn't expect to change, who changed, and because they changed, everybody knew it was God. So as you come to the Gospel of Luke and we study the Holy Spirit, here's where we begin. We begin with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is introduced as the one who would introduce Jesus. But what we want to see right off the bat as I read this is that as John the Baptist is set to, sent to set the stage for the coming of the promised Messiah, it's pretty clear what's going to happen. He was going forth in the power of the Spirit to turn people's hearts. To turn people's hearts. Now, I'm going to read the text. The text is an echo of the end of the Old Testament, John's ministry, but I'm going to put before you, before I read the Gospel of Luke, this question. I'm going to pose a question for you. Can God change your heart? That's the question. And I want you to think about, I want to take it a little deeper as we go in, I want you to think about where your heart is hardest. Or maybe I can say it another way. I've asked a few questions the last couple of weeks as we came to the end of Hebrews. So I asked you, where um, have you checked out that God's calling you to check back in? Then last week I asked the question, who have you checked out on that God is calling you to check back in with? Now I'm going to ask you a similar question. Where is he calling you to change where you're resistant to change? That's what some of the songs we've been singing about, right? Just not sitting gliding, but looking for the power of God to change. You know the hardest place to change? In your relationships that are closest to you. Isn't that true? Isn't that where in you, in your life, your heart begins to get hard? Isn't that where, where your sin kind of rises to the surface? Especially, you know, this time of year when it's Thanksgiving and you're gathering with friends and family or it's between now and Christmas, something can happen in your heart because you become familiar with each other and you become accustomed to each other's sins and the thought goes in your head, well, they're never going to what? Change. And what are they thinking about you? And where is the, the locus of your concern to be? Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart. Change me. So I'm going to set up Christmas Here's, what, here's one of the things we're doing. That's why I, I do want to encourage you tonight to invite people and to come and worship. Our, we're going to battle this December to keep your eyes on Jesus. 
We're going to battle with you in a good way, in a fun, refreshing way to be together and to talk to each other about what Jesus means to us. Because it's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to get tired. You know, it's just busy. And there's demands. And life goes on. And there's difficulties. And it's easy to get in the middle of December and have everything be your focus except that which could be your focus and should be your focus. So it's almost like I want to say to you this morning, you know how in January we have the uh, New Year's resolution sermon? Let's move it back a month. Let's start in December. And let's ask the question, will I take December to be a month where I let the Holy Spirit calibrate my heart for God? And will I believe that in Jesus, He is able to change some of the hardest, darkest corners of my heart? So I'm going to ask you the question again, and then I'm going to read the text. Where do you need change? Where's the hardest part in your heart that the Holy Spirit, God, is calling you to change? And I think the best way to do this, might not be the only way, is to picture a person that you're struggling with and then realize that the main obstacle is not with that person but with my inability to love and live like Christ. Is that true? My problem is me. If you don't get there, you're not going to get anywhere. And that's how the gospel comes, right? Comes and deals with us. So let's take our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. I'll go to verse 5. I'm focusing primarily in verses 13 to 17, but let's hear the beginning of the Christmas story on this first day of Advent. Advent, looking forward to the coming of, the waiting upon, the coming of the Messiah. In the days of Herod, verse 5, Luke 1, 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. I'm just going to pause there because I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but notice that they are godly people. Now, you're also going to find out in this chapter that as godly people, he doesn't believe God when he sends his angel. So he has to spend months in silence. So godly people are not always godly. He needs a savior as much as anyone else. But, I mean, we're not talking about people who aren't taking God seriously, so I say that to you. You may be the most serious person about God. Let me ask you the question, where in your heart does God want to move? Where does God want to change? Let's continue. But they had no child, verse 7, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So they're praying, and he is praying on behalf of the people. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with who? The Holy Spirit. 
even from his mother's womb. And he will, this is the verse I want you to begin to focus on, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So that's John's role, to prepare the people for Christ, for the Messiah. But notice contextually what that's described as. It's a quote, it's a reference back to, turn just back a few pages in your Bible before the Gospel of Matthew to the end of the Old Testament. We get to the Old Testament and we have the silence, this longing. It's like, it's like if you're hearing a, a choir singing or a concert and then suddenly the band stops. And you know the song's not over. You know those songs where you're, you're trying to say, do we clap now? Do we not clap now? Do we? That we, get to, we get to the end of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and it stops and you realize this is not a hopeful moment. Now we wait. But at the end of the Old Testament building up, it says these words in chapter 4, verse 5 of Malachi. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so you realize that Israel and all its idolatry, all its wandering, take America, America in all its wandering, in all its idolatry. You, just want, you want to say idolatry? People have been worshiping all weekend. You can get hundreds of thousands of people in football stadiums this week. You cannot get them worshiping Jesus, Right? And so we live in a culture of idolatry. But what's being taught here is that the, the corruption of the culture is actually right in the very households of the people. That's the hard place. And when the Messiah comes and the forerunner in the spirit of Elijah comes, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or in, in Luke's gospel, the heart of the disobedient to the righteous. So on one hand, it's saying, you know what the problem is? The idolatry is in the family. It's at the very root. It's at the core that fathers are neglecting to bring their children up in the nurture and the admin. There's no worship in the home. Children have become defiant and stubborn and rebellious. And they don't care what their parents say to them. And John will show up to prepare the way by saying, listen, folks, at the core. And when he says the core, he points to what? The family. But when he goes to the family, he goes even further. It's the hearts of the fathers. That's the core. Right? It's what's inside. You see, if the heart isn't changed, the home won't be saved. If the heart isn't changed and the home isn't transformed, then the nation will not repent and turn back to the Lord. And so the call of the Christ, the coming of the Christ, the preparation, John would go out and say, Dads, get your hearts in the right place. And you see, what he's actually preaching is the impossible. Let's just start here. 
Right, let's go to the, the next uh, slide here, Doug and all. The Holy Spirit works through John and prepares the people of God for the coming of Christ by convincing them and convicting people that our universal problem isn't our relationship with people. Our primary problem is our relationship with God. We need someone to come and save us from ourselves. So John, or Charles Wesley, wrote a great Christmas carol that starts out, it's a good one to sing at Advent. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Joy of every longing heart. Now here's what I want us to see in the coming of John. That in the coming of John, John is like Nathan the prophet with David. Or as he comes to the people of Israel and he says, the problem is you. How does he begin his ministry? What does he announce? Goes out into the wilderness and the people come out to John and he says, repent. What is repentance? Repentance is a fundamental shift in the way you function at the core. It is changing the processing unit of the soul. It is restarting and rebooting and recreating what's going on in your heart and mind. To repent means to turn, not just physically turn from what you're doing externally. It's to have a turn in your heart from being rebellious against God to being repentant towards God, humbled towards him. That's the work that John has been called to do. Before you're going to turn to Christ, right? Before you're going to be ready to be a people prepared for the Lord, you're going to have to have your heart turned. Turn the heart. So let me just give you a few things this morning. But here's my goal for you. That Christmas would be a season for you to make a major gospel change in your heart. Okay, so as I talk about this, let me, I realize that some of you are stubborn. That's what the text says. And you're sitting here thinking, I'm just waiting for the clock to tick. I'm not looking for my heart to change. Well, there'll be no place for Jesus for you this Christmas if your heart isn't desperate for him. Be no welcoming him into the season because you've got other things you gotta do. You got other places you gotta go. And that's what that's what people do till they're dead. They go to places and they eat pie and they do things and they die. And then they stand before God. And in the middle of this, we all desperately need because we all have these struggles. So here's Here's, if we can go to the next one there, Doug, I'm going to guess. Here's the first thing the Holy Spirit does. He creates awareness that I need to change, right? So if you're back in this text in Luke chapter 1, he will turn many of the people of it, children of Israel to the Lord their God. He'll go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient of the wisdom, to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So the first thing the Bible teaches us is that the Holy Spirit convicts us that we need to have heart change. You will never turn to Jesus if you don't believe you need Jesus. 
if you're not aware that there's a core problem in your life. And so in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 5, he comes and says he's going to go after the heart. In the New Testament, John the Baptist, he's the one who comes in the spirit of Elijah, and he's going after the heart. So these people are flocking out to John. He's baptizing them, but John is saying to them, you've got to get ready, God's coming. You've got to get ready, the Messiah's coming. You've got to get ready. You've got to deal with whatever it is. You've put off, you've procrastinated, you've rebelled long enough. Wake up! Wake up! Imagine the God of the universe is sending the Son whom He loves into the world to rescue, and you're going to snooze through it, O little town of Bethlehem? Martin Luther said, In spiritual and divine things which pertain to salvation of the soul, man is like a pillar of salt, like Lot's wife, like a log and a stone, like a lifeless statue which uses neither eyes nor mouth nor sense nor heart. All teaching and preaching is lost upon him until he is enlightened, converted, and regenerated by the Holy Ghost. John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit will come and convict men of sin and righteousness and the judgment of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit has to tweak you and make you awake to the fact that there's something fundamentally flawed in your heart. If the Holy Spirit doesn't do that, you will think that you just can keep on living the way you're living. You'll look at your watch, you'll carry on your life, you'll fall to sleep, you'll stand before God. It's not that you can't think. It's that you don't think right. It's not that you don't have a conscience, but you suppress the conscience with your unrighteousness. Spurgeon says this, the Holy Spirit gives no man the power to think or the organ of belief because man has a power to believe or think as far as his mental act is concerned, but he gives that belief which is already there a tendency to believe the right thing. He gives the power of thought, the propensity to think in the right way so that instead of thinking irregularly, we begin to think as God would have us think. So the Holy Spirit takes your brains and makes you think the way God would have you think. And the way God would have you think is, if it's okay the way you are, then why did I send my son into the world? And if you say, I don't have time for this, you spit on the son of God. The Bible says you trample him underfoot, you call God a liar. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's the starting point, folks. That's not the ending point, but it starts there. The Holy Spirit starts by telling you that you need help. You need help. Now, here's the other thing I want you to see, because it's tied to this, but it says it'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the unrighteous towards, uh, unjust towards the righteous. That you know, let's go to the next um, slide down here. It's not just that the Holy Spirit has to produce awareness that I'm a sinner. If you got there, you just leave church guilty today, Right? I don't need to, I don't, most of you are probably sitting here thinking, I didn't come to church to just feel worse about myself, but you can't feel better about yourself unless you know what you need 
to have addressed. My brother-in-law right now is going in for surgery. Mike is going for surgery next week to take out a melanoma in his arm. They're going to take out, um, and I appreciate you praying for him, but they're taking out lymph nodes. I'm going to do a body scan, right? He's not, he doesn't have much energy. He pastors, he's a pastor in Toronto. And so as Mike is going for these things and we're praying and we're all kind of on a thing, one of the things that's going on is that he needs the doctor to find out what's wrong so that they can treat it appropriately. If you're oblivious to the problem, you're in the greatest danger. So the Holy Spirit comes to slap you up. You ever see, old people, remember the Alka-Seltzer commercial? Is that Alka-Seltzer? No, not Alka-Seltzer. What's that? Alka-Seltzer goes in. There's an aftershave where they'd put it and they'd slap your face. High karate, High karate or something. <laughs> anyway, for you younger people, it used to work in commercials because people used to wear this stuff. They'd put this stuff on, slap you in the face, and it would wake you up. Like senses. That's what the Holy Spirit's come to do, to take the truth of the gospel, the word of God, and to tell you, you think your problem is them. Your problem, the reason you're struggling, the reason you're frustrated, the reason you're distant, the reason you're perpetually angry, anxious, and ticked off is because you're not trusting God, not because everybody else has got problems. Right? We need God to help us. So here's the next thing then. We need acceptance. The Holy Spirit in the sex turns the hearts of the fathers towards the children. It doesn't turn the hearts of the fathers to blame the children or the children to blame their parents. The Holy Spirit, you know the Holy Spirit is truly at work when everyone's primarily looking at their own hearts and not trying to figure out how to change the other person. That's repentance, right? Repentance is not me spending my whole time trying to figure, figure out how to fix you because you're annoying you. My problem with being annoyed with you is that somehow in me I lack the love, mercy, grace that Christ shows me every day because I am incredibly annoying. Isn't that true? I mean, you don't have to amen the, the last part real strong. <laughs> all, all in favor? <laughs> But, you know, that, that's the reality, that when repentance becomes a reality for us, we stop blaming our circumstances. We stop blaming the culture because until we can shift everything in the culture. We can vote in any kind of government we want. We can go left wing, right wing. We can work it all out. At the end of the day, the problem is in the heart of man, in the house of the nation. Right? That's what's going on. If I don't change, the world doesn't change. You can elect whatever judge. You can elect whatever politician. You can change whatever educational system. The problem here is me. I don't believe in God. I don't trust Him where it matters most. I don't bow before Him. So I'll give you a quote here. Piper, turning to this text, says, Notice it does not say that any father or child can turn the heart of the other. That's not your responsibility. You ever tried to turn somebody's heart? How's that go? Right? But your own heart is. So the word of God to the fathers and mothers today is this, turn your hearts to your children. And the word to children is this, turn your hearts towards your father and mother. So let me just pause here and say this. Parents... How's your heart been with your kids? And kids, and I, I say this really seriously because I think in a culture that doesn't let kids have responsibility, I don't believe it for a second. You are responsible. 
you're not stupid. You know, as a child, when you got a bad attitude. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? I can remember as a, in my teenage years, going to bed at night, ticked off and angry, and at the same time knowing that there was some major problems in Dibley's heart and head and crying to the Lord to help me, to help me. When the Holy Spirit comes, he doesn't say everybody else is the problem. That's what the devil says. And so you start to have Adam saying, it's the woman you gave me. And you have the woman saying, it was the serpent. And you're having the serpent going, right? But that's not how it works. When the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to the heart of a person, he says, you dad, you dad, stop now. They're not your problem. You are your problem. And repentance, that turning, it doesn't turn. It doesn't turn until I say, I am my problem. You know how that changes the tone? You know how that changes the conversation? When I realize And that's what the Lord does. He lets me see and accept that as Nathan points his finger in David's chest and says, you are the man, the Spirit of God points into my chest and says, you are the problem. You have to learn skills because for the first half hour, you think you're not the problem. Maybe for the first day, Marianne will tell you this, I I, I can think I know everything. So sometimes I've got to go for a drive in the car till I can come to terms with the fact that I'm an idiot, right? I'm going to need to go for a walk, you know? I'm going to walk. Why? Because I think I know everything. I think I can solve all the problems in the world. I think I think I know everything that needs to happen at Waterbrook. I need that know to happen in every relationship. Why don't people just listen to me? There's a good reason if people don't listen to you. They know you, right? Just calm down, settle down, face the music, slow down, and as you start to talk, you go, God, I'm not... I'm not trusting you. I'm not as good as you. I'm not as patient as you are. I'm not as gracious as you. God, do not let me be in charge of me. Save me from me. Does that make sense? Now, it's the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts you. Then he convinces you. He makes you aware, right? And then he works, but the next thing he does, then the Holy Spirit shows you aspirations. See, if that's all the Holy Spirit did, he wouldn't be called the comforter or the helper or the paraclete that comes alongside. The Holy Spirit will actually have the audacity to bring the promises of God in the Word of God and hold them up for us to give us an expectation that I am not stuck or trapped with me. The power to change is in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. This is the hope of the Bible. The the month of December and Advent begins with an announcement of hope. God comes to save his people, to set the captive free. And he turns, and this preparation is to anticipate. That's why when when, uh, the Pharisees come to John the Baptist and he's preaching repentance, he says, go and produce fruit in keeping with repentance you don't think you're the problem you think we're all the problem he was only willing to baptize people who were coming in to say i want 
to be changed and cleansed and forgiven and transformed. And so the Holy Spirit changes the heart. And I wanted just to point out in this, the Holy Spirit creates longings and ambitions for things we would never desire or pursue. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And and what we need to say when he says he's going to turn the heart, the heart is the control center of the human. It's not just your affections that you feel better about people. It includes your affections, but it also includes your thinking. You know, Paul will say to the church at Corinth, when they're giving offerings and gifts, he says, decide in your heart what you want to do. It's the decision-making area of your life. It's your will, and it's your actions. It's your affections, right? It's your actions. It's your attitudes. So let me just walk through this. If we give God our heart, and he's going to turn our hearts, I just want you to think about this. In the Bible, we're promised that when the Holy Spirit would come, he would change our attitudes. And what I mean by that is he'll remove the stubborn, stony, rebellious heart. Do you have a stubborn heart this morning? It's okay to acknowledge it, right? I, I assume everybody's stubborn. Stiff-necked and rebellious is what the Bible calls us, left to ourselves. But in the Scriptures, we have this promise in the Old Testament that when God would come and establish His new covenant, that what God would do by the power of the Holy Spirit is He would give us a new heart. Listen to this promise in Ezekiel chapter 26, 24-7. He tells the people of Israel who have rebelled and gone away from the Lord, I will take you from the nations. I will gather you from the countries. I will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. You understand that's a heart change to be rescued from your idols? And I will give you a what? New heart from your heart of flesh and I will give you uh, I will give you sorry I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh I'll get sorry yeah and give you a heart of flesh I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules so that's the first thing I expect I expect this this morning I expect some of you to stop being stubborn in the power of the Holy Spirit some of you have been stubbornly disobedient to the Holy Spirit's work in your life you think everybody else is the problem You've been resisting the call of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He holds up Christ. And he says, you know what? You've been resisting. You haven't been resisting everybody else. You're resisting me. Did you hear that this morning? Those of you who have been resisting doing what you should be doing in your family, that you've been resisting God? When you drove to church today, ticked off at everybody in your house, you're actually ticked off at God. This is real stuff, isn't it? And so that's what he does. He brings 
He brings new desires. I don't want to be stubborn. I want this heart of stone to change. I want to respond. I want to think differently. I want to act differently. He changes our affections. He replaces our feelings of animosity and hostility. This is what needs to be changed. I need to love where I don't love. I need to care about those who I don't care about. I need to change my attitude and my affections. Take your Bible and turn to one of the best passages on this. Is Psalm 51 where David has the... Nathan has tapped him on the chest and said, Brother, you are guilty of adultery and murder. And after this weight of the Spirit has been put upon him, listen to how he prays in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Do you hear those words? Joy, gladness, I want to rejoice. You see what's kindled there? The desires, the affections. He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. This is one of the clear signs of the Holy Spirit's working in you. You used to love your sin and you think, used to think righteousness and living for God was uh, a, a burden. Now you look at your sin and think, that's a burden and I want to be righteous. He says, create in me what? A clean heart, O God. Renew what? a right spirit with me. Can I stop and just invite some of you to leave the sermon mentally now and linger in verse 10? So you can just check out now and go with God in verse 10. Just go away in, in, in a quiet spot in verse 10. You, the rest of the sermon, just pray over that verse. Some of you know that you need God to change your heart. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit. Restore to me what? The joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he brings repentance. He not only convicts us and he not only changes our attitudes so we're not stubborn, he changes our affections. I want to be righteous. I don't want to sin anymore. I hate my sin. That's what happens. I hate the way I am with my family. I hate the way I am in my marriage. I hate the way I am when I'm alone. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. God, give me what you offer. Give me joy. Give me joy. I realize I've been miserable and anxious because I've been sinful and rebellious. Help me. And he changes our actions. Look down in verse, down further in verse 51, verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. See, it doesn't stop with me saying, okay, now I feel better about me. Then I look around and I realize there's a whole lot of people with the same problem I have. And I just want to go to them and say, you're not alone. Partly when Aria came up to worship and talking about the first time you're leading worship and, you know, she's conscious. We're all conscious of this. We don't want to be distracting. We want it to be in order. I just looked at her and said, it's Waterbrook, honey. Right? It's Waterbrook. And this is, what we, this is how Waterbrook functions. And if you can't take it, then it's just it's probably not the church for you. Because at Waterbrook, this is what we're messy people trying to help messy people homeward. Right? That's what we are. We're going to try to do the best we can, but it's not going to be perfect because nobody here is perfect, but we have a perfect Savior, and we're going to come alongside, and it's not going to go well. We're going to look at each other in the eyes, and we're going to say this. Thank God we have Jesus, and He loves us, and He will never let us go, right? That's how it works 
because that's how life is. The rest is fake. It's not authentic. This whole lifestyle where we present the best image and we Instagram ourselves and we Snapchat ourselves and we get out there and make everybody envious of the pretty little selves we become is such a fraud. That whole mess underneath, is that whole fraud is a mess underneath. That's the problem with humanity. There's not anybody that doesn't need Jesus. We all need Jesus. So the Holy Spirit comes along and says, I'm not going to sit here in my selfish, self-pitying state. I'm going to come, say, cleanse me from my sins, Jesus. And then I'm going to look around and see other broken people and say, I can tell you how, how this can be better. See, that's all prep. Because even there, it's not enough. Unless you get to Jesus. And you see, that's the chief responsibility of the Holy Spirit. Let's go down a little bit. Doug, you can jump. Let's jump back past the next one. Glorification. The joy of the Holy Spirit is to introduce Jesus to us, to prepare us, to reveal that it's powerfully possible exclusively through a relationship. Paul Tripp says, the entire hope of fallen humanity rests on one thing. There is a Savior who is eternally steadfast in redeeming, forgiving, reconciling, and delivering love. Isn't that great? That's the announcement here to all of us as he turns our families and he turns our hearts as we come into Christmas and we have to deal with difficult people. The great news is the Holy Spirit will come and tell you this. Jesus has come. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There is enough for your sin. There is help for you in your brokenness and in your burdens. So, so go to Isaiah 40. Mary Ann was quoting Isaiah 40 this morning. Um, I'll give you a couple of things. In, as she goes through the Advent season, she goes through Handel's Messiah. And so she reads, because Handel's Messiah is all Scripture. And she makes her way through. Another way you can do um, Advent is read the Gospel of Luke. Every, read a chapter every day and it'll end at Christmas. It'll lead you right into Christmas with the story of Jesus Christ. But listen to this. This speaks of John the Baptist coming, this text. It's part of the, the anticipation of the one who would make straight a way for the Lord. Isaiah 40, comfort Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her. Her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. Got that line? That's what we were crying this morning. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall be made become level and the rough places a plain. Just think of that as your heart. All the obstacles, all the hard spots in your heart, he will lay low. So in comes Christ. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see, if you don't feel that you're a sinner, you won't see the glory of the Lord. 
if you aren't convinced the problem is you, if you think the problem was everybody else, then you won't be prepared to receive the Lord. If you don't have deep longings to be a different you, if you don't really want to change, then you won't have a longing for the Lord. But when the Holy Spirit comes along and says there's a better day and a better way and you don't have to be angry and you don't have to be anxious about these things, you don't have to be, you don't have to be perpetually in conflict with everyone else, you know this struggle in your head and struggle in your heart, you know this thing that's going on, there's someone who will comfort you. The Holy Spirit comes to make beautiful things out of the dust. How do you feel today? Is it dusty in your heart? The cobwebs? Is it stony in your heart? Let me just ask you right now, is the Holy Spirit cracking that stony heart? Is the Holy Spirit melting it away? Now here it is. It's a word of comfort to you. Jesus will forgive you all. Jesus loves you and will not abandon you. On your best days and your worst days, He will walk you through it all. He will never let you go. He was crucified for you and raised on the third day to ever live to intercede for you. Will you receive Jesus Christ today? I'm going to tell you what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to cry to Jesus tomorrow. Not because He leaves, but because you're needy. But He will come, and He will minister by the power of the Holy Spirit, and He will heal, and He says this. This is the promise. You you saw how the Old Testament ended, right? The Old Testament ends... That he, the, Elijah will come and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. The New Testament climaxes and ends with these words, and he will make all things new. Let him make you new today. Today's the day where he makes all things new. So let's pray together. So, Father, I thank you for Christmas. Thank you for a season where we celebrate the first coming of Christ and we anticipate the second coming of Christ. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that as we read in the Gospels the coming of the Messiah, that that you send John the Baptist telling us that the issue is in the heart. And that the Holy Spirit works to bring conviction. And so I pray, dear God, that you would bring conviction to my heart today. I just pause, dear God. I, invite, I just invite you folks. Why don't you just pause for a moment? Acknowledge what needs to change in your heart. And invite Jesus in. Invite him into your marriage. Invite him into your worries. Invite him into your doubts. 
Invite him into your guilt. Just invite him in to say, come and help and heal me. I need you, Jesus. I need you today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, now breathe life. Give life and set new. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about our church, times, and events coming up, go to www.waterbrook.church.